Welcome aboard, Captain. to the Star Trek Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we analyze and discuss Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, one minute at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris LaSalle. That would make me your other co-host, David Stoker. Hello, David. Hello, Christopher. All right, here we go. Minute 89. Yes. Uh, uh, class of 89, go Blue Knights. Yes. Woohoo. Uh, all right, minute 89 of The Search for Spock starts with Kirk telling Sulu to land the bird of prey on Manuel. It uh, ends a minute later with Uhura approaching Kirk and company at the base of Mount Salea. Did I say that right? Yeah. Salea? I think Salea. Yeah. yeah. Mount Salea. Yeah. Salea. Salea. Tomato, tomato. Potato, potato. So we got a lot of dialogue to cover in this minute. Whew. <laughs> and a lot of circus tents. So we get a great tents. we get a great shot of that overhead ceiling circus tent that uh, from the bird of prey. Oh, we do. You're right. Yeah, Kirk uh, Kirk standing up there, and I mean that is a awful, awful looking ceiling. Yeah, you wonder what you know the the designer the Klingon designers were thinking when they did this. <sighs> Boy, put a bunch of stripes in there. When we go to red alert, you know, but I forget if it was red alert or just that's just their color scheme. Yeah. They're always in red alert. Yeah. They've got all these, yeah, it's like a, almost a rainbow of color. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what did you say? Yuck. Yeah. All right. So Kirk says, you're Mr. Sulu, you're on manual. And uh, Sulu, God bless him. Well, it's been a while, sir. Uh, here we go. And I, I love that, you know, <clears throat> this is like an understated moment of how awesome Sulu is because not only this is the first time flying, you know, flying a Klingon ship, right? They had to figure yeah. out how to fly it in space and read all the controls and stuff. Now he's going to take, presumably take it in with, you know, the joystick and, you know, figure out how to pull out the landing gear and actually, you know, land this thing on a, on a target. Um, it's probably like one button. Oh, land. Boop. <laughs> All right, so you just so you just undermine it all. So Sulu, all he had, all he had to do no. was learn the Klingon word for land. <laughs> no, actually, I think I think it's pretty amazing that he does this. I just have the question of we were privy to when they got to space dock that the you know space dock obviously you know they go to blue alert and they are brought into the space dock mm. you know under the you know tractor some beam sort of tractor beam or whatever. I don't understand why I don't. I, I guess I don't understand the whole manual. Why he has to bring it in on manual? Is it because they're landing? I think yeah, maybe I think so because well, and, and there's really no doesn't look like there's any technology here, you know, like space dock. Well, we know they don't have a security force, so <laughs> right. Um, so there's that, and then they obviously don't have any sort of like landing guidance, you know. Yeah, he's just just putting it down wherever. Yeah. Um, so a couple. Of... Yeah, I mean it's Oof, those Vulcans. For as smart as they are. Yeah. Uh, all right. So a couple things. I, I I wonder if our listeners are just laughing, laughing, laughing at us as we get this shot of uh, the bird of prey uh, 
sweeping gently over what we thought was the landing pad up at the top yeah. of the mountain, <laughs> and you just keep on going. <laughs> so I didn't I w- know. I couldn't remember. I was totally wrong. That is not the, I think that is the temple at the top of Mount Salea. I think that right. was my initial thought. And, but Yep. No, nope, you were right. I was wrong. Uh, but I just laughed with you and you know you and I were looking watching the minute offline and we just both went oh geez because <laughs> the ship flew right on by um, should have kept right on going yeah so this gets to so one of the things we get this kind of cool shot kind of cool shot of the of the bird of prey landing at the end the wings mm-hmm. are up the landing gears out uh, I this might seem seem like it's out of left field, but I got a I got a ET vibe here. Does that does that ring any bells when I say that to you? Or no? Okay. <laughs> so you lost me there, pal. Well, it's, it's two reasons. Uh, the music they're playing, Star Trek music, James Horner, mm-hmm. but it's it's just got this kind of swelling, and you know, it's it's there's something about it that reminds me of ET. And then the light, all the lights, you know, shining up from the ground. Uh, I don't know if you remember the you know ET ship yes. when it leaves. It's got a lot of lights on it, but they're they're pointing does, up, yes. pointing down. And so there's just something about those two things that invokes ET for me. Okay, <laughs> all right, it's um, totally me. <laughs> it's totally you, man. I can't right. I can't join you on that journey. Okay, so here. Um, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I, I I as much as we you know bagged on the 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 bird of prey shot flying in yesterday mm-hmm. this one coming in and swooping around i feel like is much better oh absolutely um until so the the bird of prey is coming in the wings go up and then we get to sulu and he says retro thrusters um which means he's finishing them the manual landing mm-hmm. and then we're privy to this fantastically bad shot <laughs> of the bird of prey landing with the you know the big marquee lights with no shadowing whatsoever to give us any kind of depth with a fake looking bird of prey oh okay i thought the lights were a nice touch <clears throat> really well in that in that you know it does look a little fakey as it's coming in i'm like well the lights at least because especially when the lights like hit the ship itself I'm like oh that's a nice touch um no mm-hmm. Doesn't no, I'm not buying it. Okay. Not buying it. Sorry. All right. No, that's fine. Um, I like the shot. Never really appreciated the shot uh, after this of when you see Sarek and the you know, camera kind of closes in on Sarek's face. I was like, what is this? What? Are they, why are they focusing so much? But I'm like, oh, he's about to see Spock again. Yeah. Um, and does he know? Does Sarek know that Spock is alive at this point? I'm assuming that he, they must have told him. So again, I don't think we're privy to that information. It is possible that on their travels back, they communicated with Sarek and said, hey, Sarek, uh, Spock was not only – we found Spock, um, but hey, guess what? He's he's alive. <laughs> hey, guess what? <laughs> because, again, the original mission was to get his body. Yeah. like. That was what Sarek said, you know, even, you know, even though his body was in death, he still wanted it. So you need to retrieve the body. Right. And he we have to have the assumption with all that's being prepared that they he knows that Spock is alive. I, I, 
I have to believe at this moment in the movie, in minute number 89, with everything that we know and don't know, that I'm guessing that Sarek knows that he's alive. In some way, he's been communicated to. Okay. All right. I, yeah, that's. I would agree. That's That's got to be. Because I can't believe that he would have all of this, I'm going to say pomp and circumstance, you know, the, the, the mountain stairway line the way it is with all these Vulcans and everything ready that they would be doing that if Spock was dead. Right. I, I, I'm guessing. I agree. Maybe, I agree. Maybe this is a, you know, a daily ritual. I don't know. Um, <laughs> this is how, they, this is how they, everybody gets greeted when they arrive at Vulcan. Yeah. Or maybe it's just this is the ceremony that they're going to eventually remove the Katra from McCoy and put it in the hall of heads. So, yep. Yeah. It could be that for sure. Could be, could be, could be. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Yep. Next shot. The, the bird of prey on the ground, the ramp opening in the back. Yep. And I got to give it to ILM. They are doubling down on the engines. <laughs> I've been complaining about them all season, right? This fireplace engine, terrible lighting, whatever effect they're using to make the engine. Even though the ship is landed, it is still lit. And, and, and it is know, like a fireplace. It's flickering like a fireplace. <laughs> and I have to, I have to wonder, is that normal or impulse engines to continue to do that i would say not they landed everything should shut off i would think yeah. when they were gotten in, when they went into landing mode when they went into manual that would be like the first thing to do is turn those things off because i mean they have to slow down yeah i would think so unless you know unless those are just the impulse engines in neutral i don't know so yeah i i that was the first thing that was the first thing that struck me right the, the, the engines are on and I don't want to necessarily belabor this next point because I think we already mm. talked about earlier in the season. The scale of the bird of prey is never more obvious now than it has been in the whole movie right. as we see the doors open and them start to walk down that ramp. The bird of prey isn't that big. Uh, no, not really. I mean, it I, looks, I don't, I... yeah, it's tiny. It makes me think of like, it's a little bigger. Well, it's bigger than a, you know, a shuttle coming off the Enterprise, but geez, mm. it's really not that big. Um, and so all these shots we've seen of it in space, uh, you know, you know, head on with the with the Enterprise and stuff, they, they it always gave you the sense that it was as big as the dish, as big as the sauce, the dish on the Enterprise. Um, but it's not. It's pretty tiny. Yeah, I don't think it's as big as we we think it is, because obviously um, you know, when we think of the starships, we think of like the Enterprise and how big the Enterprise is. Yeah, you can't so. land the. Yeah, you couldn't land the Enterprise. You couldn't. You know. Right. Yeah. So this thing, I don't know. I just, it's tiny, which is fine. It's okay that it's tiny. It's just, it's been deceptive through the whole film. I think of of how big this thing really is. And it makes sense that you'd only have you know a few, couple dozen, few dozen men. Right. Right. Yeah. Not enough, I guess not enough room. You don't care, do you? No, I. I <laughs> of course, I do. I, I find it fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I think, yeah, I think I get taken aback here 
mostly from the glowing engines, but also, yeah, it is, it isn't as big as we, as we believe. Cause I mean, there's what four, three to 400 people on the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, yeah, it does. You, you feel like this would, the enterprise would just run into this and, you know, smash it like it was a go-kart. Yeah. Right. Or, or even when the Enterprise hit it with a, I forget, did they hit it with a phaser or a, a torpedo? A torpedo, yeah. Yeah, a torpedo would have just like blown it to smithereens. I know. Hmm. Anywho, all right, that's all I had for that. Um, do you know? Uh, I'm sure the I'm sure the internet has has got this documented somewhere. Uh, whenever you have a ramp in a space movie. Uh, do the ramp always have to be steaming in some way? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a prerequisite. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like it would look odd if it wasn't steaming. But, yeah, uh, but we do get a little, not. yeah, a little bit of mist coming off the edge. Um, and uh, I don't know, you get this awkward, everybody carrying Spock off the off the ship. Wouldn't you think they had some sort of like hover? Um, I don't know, hover bed. That's exactly my note. Like, where's the hover technology? <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, in, in some ways it's very natural because it looks like, you know, looks like Chekhov's almost going to drop them. Uh, <laughs> right? They, they, you know that's the direction from Nimoy's laying there. Don't drop me. Don't drop me. Don't drop me. I will so fire you. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how long you've been on Star Trek. I will scrub you out of this movie, mister. <laughs> Um, so yeah and it's an interesting moment too that very Kirk seems to stop everybody from coming down the ramp for a moment if if only just you know then we get this cool shot of you know looking up the steps of Mount Salaya Um, and uh, I think we uh, I, I, I don't know how common knowledge this is but this is actually this is actually a place where they are right now this is a this is one I think this is the only the only on-location shooting they did for this film. Um, this is this is at Occidental College, um, and actually, this is a this is an actual fountain there, the Gilman, yeah, you know, the Gilman Fountain at Occidental College, which is uh, I think somewhere I think it's in L.A. Um, so it doesn't have all those steps though. It's just the fun, <laughs> just just the fountain in the base. Um, but I thought it was pretty cool and also interesting that it's the only. Uh, the only on-location shooting they did for this whole film, so everything else is on stages. Yeah, I mean, when you we were talking offline, I didn't I didn't know that this was filmed on location, and then when you told me, um, I went looking for some other movies, and um, the ones that obviously we 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 had seen, or the ones that immediately came to mind were uh, Clueless and Real Genius. <laughs> uh, yeah, Real Genius. I, I, we could do, I, I, if we had a time, I would totally do a real genius minute. That's what, that's one of my, <laughs> that's one of my favorites. Was real genius after this? That was 85? 85. 85. So it was 80, after. Yeah. 85. The summer after. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think, I don't know if they, if you actually get to see this particular fountain there, but yeah, it's been used. The, 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 the campus has been used for all sorts of, uh, to appear yeah, there's all like, sorts of movies. Yeah. 20, 20 plus movies and like 20 plus uh, TV shows. I mean, anything from like Beverly Hills 90210 to the 
the West Wing, Glee. I mean, there. I mean, this was a commonly used location for yeah. uh, the entertainment industry. Yeah. Yeah, and I like how they've. I mean, they've they've obviously stitched it together, right? They've got the, the fountain and the the, right. the walkways, but you know, superimposed over the over the mountains and stuff. But it's it, it hangs together pretty well, and it definitely gives it a you know an air of of you know alien you know not not of this mm. earth right so it's a it's pretty cool um i just uh i think just a quick shout out to a uh, former guest of the show uh paul sullivan right he was uh i think he he was just he just he was recently there and took some pictures of himself at, at the fountain at the, the steps of mount Salea. so yeah. I, chuckled, I chuckled when i saw that <laughs> makes me think of uh that'd be a fun uh a fun uh vacation or tour you know you could do like all of the different locations where star trek films or the show has been has been done you know on location stuff right yeah um of course i can only think of was it within yosemite so where, where is it when they when kirk's climbing the el capitan oh, yeah yep mm-hmm. um, anyway so yeah so steps of mount Salea and uh looks like uhura approaching with some guards Guards? Klingon? Yeah. Uh, Vulcans, they have guards? Yeah. Well, they don't have a security force, so I'm really surprised to see anyone with any type of weaponry at all. And I'm not surprised that they're like spears, so. <laughs> Wait, why are you not surprised they're spears? Well, they have no landing apparatus. They use these uh, weird lights for landing, a lot of flames, fountains. So you're saying just they're, they're very low-tech they give the impression of being low tech in this at the at the end of this movie obviously we know they're not i mean i'm i'm being very i don't know tongue in cheek about it i mean i get that the vulcans they're very intelligent they're you know they have their mystical ways and they obviously have great technology but we just don't see any of it and i don't know if that's just to you know, hide the mystery of who mm. the Vulcan people are, and we just don't get any of it. You know, bringing bring the ship in on manual because there's no ILM. You know, there's no communications whatsoever except to Ohora on the planet. I mean, it just seems seems a little weird that we're not privy to any communications at all, like or or any technology whatsoever. And I guess it's again, like I said, I think it's because we're sort of. We're seeing the mysticism side of it more than we see their technological side. Yeah, that's a, that's actually an interesting observation too, because because as you're saying that, <clears throat> I'm trying to you know just uh, try to think of like where have we seen Vulcan technology, and there's only two things that come to mind, and they both have been ships. Um, yeah. There's one in you know the the uh, Star Trek reboot, you know, when you see that I forget what the name of that ship was that ambassador spock is flying yeah when he's chasing nero or neo or whatever the hell his name is um nero nero and then in uh in star trek discovery um you get to see sarek and he's 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 on a vulcan ship he's flying mm-hmm. a ship or something and uh, but that's really it yeah you never see like well you see um at the end of first contact the ship comes down and it's the vulcan uh he meets uh yep. Uh, Zephyrin Cochran. Yep. So, but again, another but, ship. But again, right? it, but again, it's the ship. We don't really, uh, you know. And I think, I think they sort of 
built up, you know, Vulcans to be more about, like I said, more about the mysticism aspect of their culture than the and uh, now that i think about it we do see um in the reboot we see um the kids in their learning spheres oh yeah okay yeah so so i guess we do get a little bit of a glimpse of their technology but again it's just like this tiny little thing yeah it's and i guess it's i guess it's you know star trek it's mostly focused on the federation so we get to see all sorts of you know federation you know, behind the scenes, you know, docking procedures and space docks. And, you know, we see a million things and it's, you know, it's not the, it's not the Vulcan, Vulcan show. Right. So I guess right. it was, um, but I wonder, I wonder how much of that is, uh, you know, how there's like, um, I think there's been guidelines and stuff like, Oh, if you're going to write a star Trek episode, you got to stay within these guidelines. And, um, I think Gene Roddenberry had put something together like that. And <clears throat> I wonder how much of it was don't show too much, a Vulcan tech, right? But keep right, them, yeah. keep them as mysterious as you can. Um, so I wonder how much of that it was was consciously done. Because mm, now, because yeah. now I'm like, oh yeah, what's kind of scratching my head for? I really haven't seen a ton. So along those lines, uh, I'm just looking at this crowd, right? Uh, I mean, and it's a crowd. There's a lot of people. You know, both mm. at the bottom of those stairs and then going up the stairs. And yeah, are they holding some of them holding candles? Is that kind of what I'm seeing? Um, I don't uh, know. It's hard to I tell. Looks I, we don't have a we don't have a I don't think they're candles, but they're definitely some sort of they're holding some sort of lights. Yeah. So this this whole this whole setup itself, I think, just goes back to um, the lack of technology. This is all. Mm. I don't, I'm not seeing any technology here. It's it's a uh, it's kind of cool. You know, big fires. You know, it's really more of a yeah you know, medieval looking. Right. Yeah. You say that. You know, you made that comment about maybe the maybe the edict was. You know, we want to show this side of the Vulcans. We don't necessarily want to show the technology. Yeah. And maybe that's and maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I kind of want to do like a, you know, a project now and like go back through the the films and the shows and look and see what, you know, how much we get exposed to, like, let's say Vulcan technology. But let's mm. say also I'm just going to pick like Klingon home life. You know what I mean? You know, Klingons yeah. are always like, you know, in action and battle and, you know, um, but, you know, how often do you see them in, you know, having a meal? You know what I mean? Or just, you know, what's 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 a day-to-day Klingon's life like? You know what I mean? Right, it's, yeah. It'd be interesting to go back and kind of uh, catalog those moments and see and see what kind of story is getting painted you know, behind behind the the primary things we know about these races. Hmm. I'm going to write a book. You do that, man. I'll right. help you. Cool. Uh. Well, sir, that's all I had for this minute. That's that's where it wraps up. We get this cool shot looking up the steps, and um, uh, that's where we stop. Okay. Do you have anything Sounds else? Good. I don't. All I'm right. good to go. Great. Let's wrap it up. All right, gang. So we're going to wrap it up. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to find us online uh, or in several different spaces and social medias and whatnot, uh, StarTrekMinute.com. We're at Star Trek Minute on Tumblr and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, so definitely uh, go check us out there, and uh, we'll be back again on Friday talking about Minute 90, 90 of The Search for Spock here at the Star Trek Minute. Bye now. Goodbye. <laughs>